be perfectly fine. Fine. Okay, fine. 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 You're listening to Everything is Fine in Southwest Washington, a political podcast where we recognize that everything is not at all fine and discuss what we can do about it. I'm Carissa, and our co-hosts here are Evelyn and Philip. Welcome to Hector. Um, I believe we've possibly butchered your last name a few times here. Do you want to tell us how to pronounce your last name? Okay, so, so simply, it's it's four syllables. H <laughs> is silent, J is an H, so it's Enojosa. Oh, we oh, have butchered Inojosa. it. My apologies. Okay. We were not yeah. even close. No, so we just been Enojosa? Close, Enojosa. Enojosa. Perfect. Thank Inojosa. you. Okay, that okay. Is, that's good to know. And Hector is running for Clark County Council District Number One. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome, Hector. Running against friend of the show, Glenn, Glenn Young. Young. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> Hector, why are you running? Why am I running? So yeah. I've basically been an activist uh, for a long time uh, here locally for about 15 years. And so when you're an activist, you uh, you. You ask for change, you ask for change, and you keep asking for change. But the people that can actually make that change are the politicians, the elected mm-hmm. officials. So it's time to transition from being an activist to being a politician. Okay. So instead of trying to force the politicians to address the concerns of the community, you've decided to run to represent the community and hear more activists? Well, I believe that I... So in my advocacy, I've been trying to represent people that are underserved yeah. and those that are neglected. Yeah. So I want to bring that experience uh, into the office. That way everyone's represented, not just part, just, not just part of our, uh, part of the residents in Clark County. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience uh, in advocacy for the community? Well, um, I've done all kinds, actually. So in, in, in a wide variety of, of advocacy from civic engagement to civil rights with uh, Southwest Washington Lulac Council, uh, food advocacy and food sovereignty with uh, Southwest, Southwest Washington uh, Slow Foods, uh, I guess the char- chapter, and uh, also uh, served on the board of the Vancouver Farmers Market for a while. Uh, we've been vendors at the farmer's market for 15 or 16 years. I've lost track. Um, and then um, also I have served on the boards of Columbia River uh, Mental Health Foundation. Uh, I was there for three years. And then, of course, uh, started um, a community meal downtown Vancouver eight, over eight years ago, um, we call that Stone Soup Community Meal. And uh, we invited uh, volunteers, obviously, to come help uh, cook and serve food, but also elected officials and, and community leaders because the idea was to bring all of us together, have those discussions around a meal, and, uh, and discuss what we could do. So from that, we uh, started a nonprofit called... Community Roots Collaborative, and with that nonprofit, we have built uh, 21 small cottage homes, 300 square feet each. Uh, some are be- one bedrooms, the others are a studio. But we have approximately 35 people living there now, um, fully occupied. We're working on our second uh, project in uh, 
Rose Village. Uh, we're having, we'll have a group home for, with 13 bedrooms, uh, community kitchen and uh, common space in the basement. And we're also building 10 homes. Five of those homes will be two bedroom, so we can have families of four live there. And then uh, five of them will be, again, 300 square feet uh, approximately, and uh, one bedroom as well. Nice. So Very cool. Community so been housing, doing a little, addressing the been housing doing a, little, a few things. Yeah. Been doing a few things. Not just attending meetings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a dig or anything. <laughs> so it sounds like your focus has been primarily on food security in our community and affordable housing and addressing those housing issues. And civil uh, rights. And civil rights. Perfect. So the, those are the three maybe most important things uh, in this race. You seem yeah. well-equipped. Well, during the course of all that, I've learned a lot. I mean, I've learned about mental health. I've learned about yeah. homelessness uh, or houselessness, whichever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then dealing with, you know, uh, agriculture in, in this county, because there's a lot of agriculture here. Uh, um, as uh, a few of our former uh, county commissioners, at the time commissioners, uh, we're quoted as saying that agriculture is over in Clark County, but uh, considering we're like number 14 out of 49 counties as far as agriculture production, I don't think we're anywhere close to being over That's agriculture. That's in the state of Washington? In the state of Washington, yes. Okay. Yeah, nor and, do we want to be over. <laughs> and up until about, agriculture about four years ago, I think it was, I think that's the latest number I found, uh, we're number three in uh, Christmas tree production. May not be there at this point, but uh, yeah, we were. Yeah, certainly more robust. So it's a 84 degree day on October 16th. Maybe we should talk about climate change a little um, bit. Yeah, it does seem to be a problem, I think, uh, <laughs> as it's the evidence here. And then, you know, there's a fire up on the hill now, um, up in the Cascades. Well aware. <clears throat> and uh, no, it's it's uh, for October, 84 degrees. I think it's supposed to be rainy and 60. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's quite different. Um, agriculture is already changing. The growing season is changing already. Um, somebody was, oh, what was I reading? In Alaska, the snow crabs are like mysteriously disappearing. 90% missing yeah. or something? Did yeah, you, it's amazing. Yeah. I didn't eat uh, them, I a promise. A billion or something. I don't eat, well, I don't either. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't eat I, seafood. I, again, I don't eat anything like that. <laughs> I don't eat seafood, but like. <laughs> uh, it was surprising. It was like, where did they go? It's like further north up under the ice cap, I guess. Yeah. I don't know, so. So yeah. how, on the county council, can you support farmers, given these things are changing, to protect our food sovereignty in a changing climate? Is there anything that you can do from that that post to support them? Um, or is well, that part of the 2025 plan, perhaps? Uh, it w I would hope it would be. Uh, okay. we, get, we should be starting the conversations. I mean, we're way behind on having those conversations. Yeah. City of Vancouver is finally getting a plan together. Yeah. And the state of Washington has a plan uh, to, do, uh, to, to address climate change. And it's time for the county to have a plan. Gotcha. So, so both the Port of Vancouver, City of Vancouver, and uh, several cities around us and, of course, the state of Washington. So it's time we, 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 we need to get going on it. 
Okay. We did an episode about the city's climate action plan and how fantastic mm-hmm. and robust it is. I, we wanted to ask, we're asking everybody, do you support something similar at the county level? Would Absolutely. you just Absolutely. work should, together should, with the city and expand it out? We should be out? working, uh, yeah, we should be working together on uh, addressing the, the issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hector was the first one to explicit, the only person in this race that's explicitly said um, that he wants a climate action framework or something similar to the, I know you sent me um, that yeah, as being one of your goals. So there, sim- so. Uh, the planet, the city is, is pretty robust. Uh, the port of Vancouver is following state, kind of the state plan, uh, which is a little bit different from the city of Vancouver. I'd like a little bit more emphasis as far as the county to maintain a lot of our uh, tree canopy and a lot of the ground cover we currently mm-hmm. have to, uh, to make sure that we don't lose our green space and, of course, the ability to sequestrate sequestration of uh, carbon and, and carbon. Well, and- Maintaining that tree canopy will help with urban heat island effect in our city, too, and help reduce, you know, the scorching hot days as best we can at a community level. Obviously, it's a global issue, but. Um, No, I'm I'm, I'll be glad when we start doing what we should be doing. Uh, Yeah. So to touch base a little bit, though, uh, switching, I do agree. I do believe that we should be switching more and more and more uh, to uh, just using electricity. Yeah. Um, in the small homes that we built, all of them have solar panels. So nice. um, we, I hear a lot of pushback from folks that don't like, well, don't like to talk about using less and less fossil fuel, that, well, solar panels don't work and the batteries are dangerous, et cetera. Well, in, in what we built, we only have solar panels, so we don't have storage facility at, at the, um, in the, in the um, neighborhood, but uh, we are tied directly into the grid and all that electricity produced goes into the grid uh, if we have extra. And our, and hear a lot of people say, well, it, it's cloudy here, it rains here a lot. Well. If you remember back in March when we actually had rain and clouds, um, yeah, our, I think our, our electricity bill was around $87 for 21 houses, so um, total. So wow. we, yeah. we're generating a lot of energy and um, able to offset what we use at the houses. So um, there's so- enough sun in, in the area to produce even when it's a little cloudy. So it's yeah. not a problem. So from your county council seat, you guys will be developing the 2025 county growth plan. Um, and what ways will you address affordable housing? It sounds like you're already doing a lot of that and houselessness in the community. What do you think are the primary? And this is a multifaceted question, obviously. So Right. And it's a very complex yeah. answer. Uh, We're here for but it. But the idea <laughs> is that... The idea is... To look at having a very, very good balance of uh, small homes, uh, apartment complexes, townhomes, et cetera. And then, you know, in balance with a lot of folks who are able to afford that large home and, and, uh, and do that. But we should address the fact that in that home, it, can be, it could be solar powered. 
Uh, it could have, it could be uh, LEED certified. So uh, yeah. at least at the at the bare minimum, we could make sure that the house it, itself is efficient, even though it's far bigger than I feel is necessary for just living your life. Right. Yeah. Um, it's. <laughs> Uh, we we can we can make sure that is efficient and we use the least amount of energy that to to be able to run a household and uh if it has solar panels and a, some way to recharge an electric vehicle well, that would be nice too absolutely agreed do you support this is something i'm a big proponent of is a moratorium on natural gas infrastructure in the county because the only thing that can flow through that is natural gas and if you're investing in that infrastructure in new homes and new developments, new housing developments, you're going to need to utilize that infrastructure for the life of the building, right? theoretically, right? Yeah. So years ago, yeah. decades ago now, uh, and by the way, I moved up here in 1993 from Texas. So in Texas, uh, oil is king, right? Or has been. Yeah. Uh, and there was a fellow, T. Boone. T. Boone Pickens. So he actually went before Congress and lobbied to switch from fossil fuels to alternative energy, you know, wind turbines and solar. But he was pushing as an interim using natural gas to switch from complete, you know, from uh, as a bridge fuel into solar. Right now in the Permian Basin of Texas, and I was there two years ago visiting my brother, uh, we drove all around the Permian Basin and used to be just pump jacks and, you know, oil rigs. I saw no oil rigs last time I was there, and wind turbines are everywhere. Solar farms are everywhere. So the oil fields are being covered with solar panels in the Permian Basin. So even Texas... <laughs> People in the industry are looking at switching over. So it's, and that's happening even in the biggest oil produ producing uh, area of Texas. So um, we're switching and all the pushback from the folks that are reluctant to, to switch over. It, it's happening. So, you know, we should just accept the fact that this is the newest thing and we need to switch over. And, um, and being a, at one time a professional cook, uh, which I'm getting away from now, but being a cook, I love gas. I love cooking with gas. And it, that's the fact. It, it controlled really well. However, uh, induction heaters now, uh, you have a great, uh, you, can, you can control temperatures so well now. And, and uh, actually, even better in some instances, to, to, to control the temperature of whatever you're cooking with an induction heater versus a gas, you know, a gas stove. So uh, I'm learning as well. So you're open to it? Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Very cool. So what does public safety mean to you? Is it just like a really you know, skyrocketing, super high sheriff's budget, or is it more complex than that? It's very complex. Um, first of all, there I think it was last, last numbers I saw, and I spoke with folks at the Sheriff's Department, uh, 21, they were down, the, the county's down 21 
uh, deputy sheriffs, and 27 corrections officers. Um, and that's just from attrition and people leaving because for higher paying jobs, both here in Vancouver and in Portland. So do we need to address the budget? Yes, but probably not exactly for that because the budget's already there, but we just have a lot of people missing. Do we need more uh, sheriff's deputies? Probably our population is increasing. So, you know, there's a balance of how many folks you're trying to maintain their their safety in their home and uh, how many sheriffs actually need to be on duty. So do we need to raise it astronomically? I think we're going to have to raise it somewhat as far as the salary per person because they're leaving because they can get better better positions nearby even. So um, I think Camus is paying more than the sheriff's department, the police department, and certainly, certainly uh, Vancouver is. So we need to address that, the salary disparities, so that we can at least retain the ones we have and, and then re- and find those replacements for the people that are, have left. So do we need to raise it? Probably. Um, how much? Like, I, I don't have a number right now. Um, but do we need to double the budget? I don't know. I don't think so. How can we address public safety other than just increasing the number of deputies? Um, better, more diversity within the department. Okay. Um, and actually, that's being discussed right now. Uh, we so I'm part of uh, the Vancouver Police Chiefs Diversity Advisory Team, and that group of folks, several of us, went to uh, down to uh, Washington County. Um, the training academy down there for for law enforcement and we toured the facility um i think they have 12 acres so the so the state of washington is looking at uh putting a train a training facility here in clark county they're switching from just a single uh training academy up in burien to regional training uh okay. academies which would make it easier for say uh, folks that can't be away from family uh, to go to the training up for, for six months up in Burien and then have to travel back and forth and then maybe live up there for six months and then they're away from their families. Um, so this would give a better opportunity to, for a more diverse um, police force and sheriff's department uh, because I think by increasing that diversity, you can address a lot of the cultural differences between all the different ethnic groups that are actually here in Vancouver. Um, I was at a, if you go down the farmer's market on occasion, you, I mean, you can hear easily three different languages. And I've, I've heard five or six of folks that are just visiting, but a lot of the folks are living here. So there's a lot of diversity within, within our community that needs to be represented in, in city government, in, in police force, in, in the sheriff's department, in the, and in the county uh, workforce. We need, we need representation by all the community that is here, so the different community members. 
If we do that, then I feel that we can do a better job of providing uh, public safety for our, for our entire, uh, uh, for all of Clark County um, by addressing those cultural differences and getting some of the folks to come onto the forest under, with the understanding that they are working for their, their own community, for their own ethnic group. Can, is or what's happening currently with uh, addressing mental health issues and are sheriffs still responding to mental health calls or is that changing? Um, that is changing, but it, I think the um, with this election, we will see a lot, uh, a lot more improvement toward actually okay. handling that. There's still a lot of discussion whether um, whether the sheriff's department will 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 come on board with supporting uh, a program like down in Eugene and with a cahoots program down there. Okay. Uh, I what personally is that program? Uh, basically, when you when you when you respond to a uh, a welfare check or for a, an individual that has having mental issues. It's not just law enforcement that goes out, but actually a, a, a mental health worker okay. uh, that will go out with, with law enforcement and deal with what what's there. You know, it, it's someone having a mental crisis. Yeah. And rather than just, you know, so that way you can de-escalate things and, and have somebody who is versed in dealing with folks that have mental issues uh, mental problems, and can talk those with those folks and 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 deal with the situation without having to draw a gun. So I think that's it's a good program. Obviously, it costs more, but um, how much how much does a human life cost? Uh, what's it worth? So yeah, I think we we just need to look at things di- more different. Mm-hmm. Differently than we have addressed it before. Yeah, and honestly, that's taking some of the burden off the deputies themselves because then they're not ex- expected to understand. You know, people go to school for six or eight years to understand mental health issues and their complexities, and so to put that on our sheriffs seems a little bit unfair. So to partner them with somebody with that education and experience seems like it would actually make their jobs easier and less stressful. Yeah, I know that a lot of some in some of the training nowadays, uh, compared to say twenty years ago, I mean, that is addressed in okay. the, in in that training. But when you have six months, yeah, to learn how to become a, or at least the beginnings of learning how to be a police officer, that's just a very small section of of what they learn. So, as you stated take six years really or whatever to, yeah. to really become aware and, and versed in, in mental health issues. So, um, yeah, can't, can't, you can't um, expect law enforcement to know everything. So it's, it's a question of dealing with, uh, with things as best they can, but then have experts be there as well to, yeah. to take care of certain calls when you say that the potential this program's uh whether or not we get this program is dependent upon the next election are you referring to the sheriff's race uh yes i think uh i think uh one of the candidates at least has we've had discussions uh regarding what 
we could do to, to address some of those issues. I know another candidate doesn't care. So, um, yeah. So I believe that at least the conversation will, will begin. Okay. Um, and then we can, at, le- at least if someone's willing to discuss it, it's better better than not discussing it all. So, Right. Have you had dialogue with both candidates or just one? Uh, just one because I have a lot of, uh, because of in, in the groups that I'm involved in, they come to us. Okay. So uh, he's come and spoken with our group and uh, he's been, we've been candid, yeah. <laughs> uh, very candid with, uh, with, uh, okay. with John Horse. So uh, we're trying to address that directly and we believe that he, more than likely he will win, but we'll see what happens. I mean, you never know. Yeah. But uh, Your vote definitely matters, and the sheriff's race is important. We've discussed correct. it a lot on a lot of episodes, how right. how much uh, the sheriff's race needs to go one way for us to right. make progress in our yeah. county. Right. So every, if we can make a little bit of progress, that would be a, a good thing. So, definitely. Uh, but at least, at least it would be discussed. And I think seriously, not just giving it. Well, let's put it this way. The groups I'm involved in expect to not just have lip service. We expect to have some input and some and some changes happen in the very near future. So I assume one of the questions we're asking every candidate is how would you solicit public feedback for large projects? And how would you uh, maintain connection with the community so that they feel like they're part of it? And it sounds like you're part of many of these community organizations already, but I don't know if you have another a plan to reach out to maybe those who aren't already in your orbit once you're elected or... In what areas? What like arenas? Any, any big decision that the county's making. Say you're, you know, the 2025 growth plan, will you solicit oh. feedback in any way other than any new ways, I should say, because it sounds like you're already quite... Well, I, quite I think there's... I mean, I... Again, I've been dealing with folks that are underrepresented and neglected, and uh, so certainly that voice needs to be heard. Um, but we also need to address our needs. Uh, what, how many houses do we need? How many, and what kind of houses do we need? Um, so we need to have a very realistic discussion of that and find that balance. And uh, for me, so my background is in, uh, I'm a, for about 45 years now, I've been a field service engineer, so I get to travel around as in, in the semiconductor industry. So I travel around all over the U.S., but certainly world, actually worldwide. So I've been to China like 10 times and lived in France for a year and Italy for three or four months. And So I, I get to travel, see a lot of different cultures, a lot of different ways that, to handle things. But my job was to go in and fix things. So my job was... I got, I get called in after the customer can't fix something for two to three weeks, and when it's costing them a hundred thousand dollars a day, they want it fixed quickly. So when I come in, the first thing is a big meeting, and I hear what the problem is according to everyone at the table, and a lot of times there's no agreement. Uh, not all the time, but. There's been plenty of uh, conversations I've had in those meetings where everybody's pointing fingers. It's this, it's that, or whatever. And so 
for me, it's like, let's find the problem. You know, let, let's figure out what the actual problem is and we'll address it. We'll fix it. And so um, you have to be, I mean, that's the reason that yeah, I have to be pragmatic. I have to be realistic about what, what, what's going on. So once that meeting is over, I go and actually go talk to the person that's been working on it for two weeks that hasn't been able to fix it. And I get all that down, you know, downloaded. And, uh, and typically that person is assigned with me to take, to work with me. So, um, so it's part troubleshooting, part on the job training for the person that's helping. And so when it comes to the problems we have in Clark County, problems are problems. They're not partisan. It's here's, here's what we need to do with your, you know, or what do we need to do and how do we address it in a pragmatic, realistic, actual uh, thing that we need to fix. So it's not left or right. It's a problem. Is, is, is there climate change? Yes. What can we do, right? So, so if we change to, to using renewable energy in whatever form, uh, we will, we can address it and stop the bickering. Oh well, we're not, we're not, we're not past fossil fuel. Well, let's plan on it because that's what's coming. You know, <laughs> let's plan on it. So, yeah. And then there's discussions of batteries. So, in it, with my background, I deal with a lot of R and D facilities. You know. I I I worked I've worked at MIT at, in 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 a lot of their laboratories. I worked at Stanford. I worked at University of Washington, and they're working on the cutting edge stuff. And I get to learn from these guys what they're working on. I I've knew what we were doing for LEDs twenty five years ago, and what the goals were to to design LEDs that produce whatever frequency light we needed. And, and they worked on how bright they were and how to control them and all that. So I know where the battery technology is going. And tech, battery technology is it's not quite Moore's Law, where you, you double computing power every year. But, this, but batteries from three years ago, we now have the ability to store more efficiently doubling that in three years so we can and they're lighter and now we're working uh on sodium ion uh, batteries and i with some success i wish it was better success but aluminum air batteries that are much less much less toxic so i know where we're going and what what the goals are for the people making you know doing that research so when we talk about, well, you know, cobalt and lithium are, are these toxic things that we have to deal with for now, but in five years, we'll, we'll see that we're no longer looking at lithium ion technology. We're, we're, we're going to be moving past that. And in 10 years, we'll have batteries that are a lot, lot safer, a lot easier to produce. So these are the things that a lot of people don't see, but because of my work and my job that, you know, I've been, 
I get more of a, an understanding of what's going on versus what most people know. Well, people have a lack of imagination too. It's like right. they can't imagine a world different or a world that progresses until it progresses around them and then suddenly... It's They've real. never read science fiction, I think. Exactly. <laughs> it would do us all some good, right, to imagine a different world. Yeah. Um, and honestly, hearing you talk about all the exciting new things gets me excited because yeah. the things I don't know about is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so planning for the reality that's coming, which includes all kinds of innovation and things that the average person doesn't, um, doesn't know much about. Yeah. It's exciting. We haven't exactly touched on homelessness, Homelessness is a problem. <laughs> how do you see, how would you address homelessness? What, what do you think the, the real issue is here? Do you, do we think, do you think we should um, send more cops out to street sweep? Or do you think there's a deeper way to address homelessness? <laughs> so do I have a, a minute or do I have as a couple of need. hours? As long as you need. No, no so obviously it's, it's this huge complex thing, right? Yeah. So every homeless person out there has their own story uh, from wind up losing their job or they did have a pro, you know, an addiction issue or, or a spa, uh, you know, there's been a couple of folks that I've spoken with their spouse spouse died, and they were the breadwinner. Well, when you're at home and you're taking care of kids or whatever, and you have no job skills, you're not going to be able to maintain the mortgage payments or whatever. And uh, so then uh, they wind up on the street, and several things can happen. It could be, you know, they get into prostitution or they get into... Um, you know, dealing drugs or or stealing or whatever, or just scrambling uh, around trying to figure out a way to survive. And that's the thing also, it's, it's kind of funny because when people, I hear a lot of people say, well, homeless are just lazy. Mm. I think if you are out on the street and you know how hard it is to even stay alive, you can't say they're lazy maybe not making the best decisions perhaps but you know they're not lazy cuz you got to scramble a lot just to get a meal so mm-hmm. um anyway so back to homelessness um and there's people that just their rent goes up you know they're they're they have a job that covers the rent and buys the food and pays for the car payment or whatever and but they're right on the edge and if you're right on the edge and your 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 rent goes up 20%, you're no longer able to maintain what you're trying to you know keep a roof over your head. So you wind up getting evicted and once you're evicted that's on your record mm-hmm. and even if you find a better job or whatever you're not you don't have the ability because of all the 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 rules are in place as far as, you know, at least certainly with corporate uh, apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. If you have an eviction, you're not going to get, a, you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to be able to rent an apartment or a house because it's on your record that you were evicted. So it's incredibly difficult once you are homeless, once you're, once you're, uh, 
you have that on your record or you have whatever issue. Once you're on the street, to get back into anything, you get first and last month's rent and deposit. So I think average, average one-bedroom apartment in Vancouver is about $1,100 a month. So just getting back to the same point, it's going to cost you almost $3,000. Well, if you're if you're in a, you know, have a even slightly above minimum wage, how are you going to come up with three grand when you were your bank balance was zero when you got evicted? So it's not an easy thing and it takes years to get back into uh into the, you know, into the swing of things and be productive and be able to like to dig out of the hole, basically. Get out of the hole. Yeah. It takes years. So one thing that the county can do, because it's written in, in, in the state regulations, is that the county can pro, you know, find the money. And of course, that's always the issue, finding that money. But the county has the authority to be able to provide funding for people that are right on the edge. So be able to support a mortgage payment or two and, and keep keep folks in their home um, so that that burden doesn't shift and get bigger once they're in the, on the street. So um, the county has the authority to do something about it. And it, luckily, they're finally re- re- uh, recognizing that. Um, and uh, there's a program now that the county is working with cities now within the county to address homelessness and mental health issues. So I'm glad of that, that that organization doesn't have any real, they can't raise funds itself, the the organization, nor can it uh, raise it, raise it by taxes or whatever. So, but it's at least it's a cooperative effort by the county and the cities to address homelessness and mental health issues. So I'm glad of that. Um, and I see that we've, if we are able to expand that and work more cooperatively with, with the cities, we can, we can actually make a big dent in, in reducing homelessness. So you would move forward down that path that's already beginning to be set? cooperating with the city and county. Well, the the cities have been complaining to the county that the county should be on the lead. (laughs) And (laughs) the county is finally going, oh, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Thanks for that. But uh, I appreciate, but I appreciate the fact that it's actually moving the peg a little bit. So it's moving, moving down. We can actually starting to address it and become aware at the county level. Nice. Do you have transportation priorities that you would focus on, or? Well, the one that's always that I've been asked before about the bridge, you know, the I five bridge, yeah, replacement bridge. I feel that's going to happen this time, but the county has very little as far as like tolling or anything of that nature. The county has no say in it. We can wait. Say that one more time for those <laughs> in the back. <laughs> the county has no direct effect on things like tolls. Okay. Um, Interesting. There's Just some, so we're clear, Michelle. <laughs> there is some. There is some s- indirect effect. It has some indirect influence, but 
that's through other organizations like CTRAN. But even CTRAN can only make a little bit of a, of a, of a slight change or, or, you know, input into the transportation of an interstate project. So <clears throat> the city can't really address too much. It, the state and the city, as far as local roads, have some say. So we can, they can be part of that engineering input into that into the local roads and how, like the the uh, the on ramps and off ramps and right. where they go. And so there is some some um, way to address that, but. In the overall picture of things, I mean, things like tolls. I mean, we could certainly lobby to say, hey, for folks that are, are working in Portland or whatever and commute every single day, can there be a discount? And, and I can see that happening. So, I mean, we, we could say, hey, we really would like to have, you know, people that are hardworking people that go back and forth. Could we get a discount on that toll? Um, I, I think we could have some success with that. But, but as far as making a decision, no. Okay. We can't say no tolls. Um, that's just not the way it works. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, it'd be nice to, to be able to do that, but it's, that's not the case. Okay. So you think the bridge will happen? I believe so. Um, I don't see how we're going to move forward if it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to solve the congestion issues. The more lanes it has, the more cars there are. Right. So it's, you know, the, when we address how to reduce vehicle numbers, exactly. then we can, we can reduce congestion. Are there any so. other transportation priorities you'd have in the county? I'd love to have, I'd love to have, I'd love to have Wi-Fi on all the buses. So, and, and to promote bus ridership. I think I only know of one CTRAN board member that rides the bus on any kind of regular basis. It'd be nice to write into the bylaws for the, for the CTRAN that all the board members have to ride the bus to the meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be a great incentive to jump on the bus if you have Wi-Fi. You can do some work or yeah. schoolwork, whatever, instead of sitting in your car in traffic getting nothing done. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you're if you're in school and you're working full time and you're heading, you're riding the bus to go to school to, you know, a, an evening mm -hmm. class or to Clark College or whatever, and you're riding the bus, it'd be nice to, you know, get that homework that you're that's due when you get there, mm -hmm. right? So it'd right. be nice you could be able to do that. So, but you know things like that. So it'd be good. To, and and if it's convenient, if it's more useful to ride the bus, one you know you don't have to drive. You can have a snack, <laughs> and you can you can be on Wi-Fi or whatever, and and get things done, or even play. You know, it's just more fun. So it's it. There's more incentive to be on the bus, and, and uh, you can be productive at the same time. So it's actually quite a clever idea that never, yeah. like, I never thought about that, but yeah, absolutely. Um, we're behind the times, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean, where we, we are, uh, uh, so living in, in, 
in other places and tra- doing the travel. I mean, Hong Kong is light years ahead of us. We're finally getting what's it called the 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 RFID's um, bus pass. You just put it mm-hmm. up on a non-contact whatever yeah yeah so yeah that was in hong kong in 1990 <laughs> oh, <geez>. oh wow <laughs> okay you're wow yeah and it's of a lack course, of imagination <laughs> i know yeah. back to that seriously i am i am yeah. actually a little odd at that that like, yeah I so um even, yeah. i didn't even realize it because we are in this bubble of it's almost like traveling the world and experiencing other cultures Makes you aware that better things are possible. <laughs> yeah. We're number one. <laughs> <laughs> that always kills me, this idea that America is simultaneously the best country in the world, the richest country in the world, and not capable of providing housing and health care and basic needs and public transportation, that people can hold those two views at the same time. Um, yeah. yeah, they're not mu- mutually exclusive. Yeah. They are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So, yeah, traveling around definitely gives you a, a very good perspective of many more, a better perspective of everything that goes on in the world. Thinking outside of the American box. <laughs> is there anything we haven't covered? Oh, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure voters know? The big difference voting for you versus? Well, let's see. Um I've been actively engaged into many facets of our community. Um, I have been endorsed by the Washington Conservation Voters and Sierra Club. Uh, obviously, Free Fridge <laughs> and uh, Sunrise Program and Lulac Council. Um, who else? Every, every elected official in the 49th uh, Legislative District and the majority of the city council. Very so, nice. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, you know, if you voted for any of the elected officials, and they're endorsing me, I would hope that matters. <laughs> right. That uh, that uh, they are endorsing me, and if you trusted them and they're trusting me, mm-hmm. well, uh, I ask for your vote. So. Yeah. That's cool. all there is to it at that. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to reach out to everybody, and everybody in this room will probably get some text messages from me soon. Uh, <laughs> Very nice. So my apologies right up front. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a way to get people to know that I'm actually running, or, and it's maybe some of the reasons why I'm running. So Yeah. And if people want to volunteer for you in the home stretch here, um, just go to your website would be the place to start. The website has a volunteer page, endorsement and volunteer page, as well as a donation page. Sorry, guys, I got to I got to no, say that you too. Got to plug in uh, I, yeah, I have a little bit more to go on on uh, paying for those texts as well, mm-hmm. uh, and the postage for the next mailer. So, yeah, it adds up quick. Where can we get a yard sign? Do you have regular canvassing I, on the weekends at certain days and times, locations, or? Yes. Change? So if you'll call me, yeah, I, I, I have my phone number. I, I can give you the phone number is three six zero yes seven one three three seven one eight. Okay. And if you Very call me, guys. Yes. And if you call me, and I'm gonna keep that number. This is how you can solicit feedback once you're elected. Correct. So yeah. uh, you can call me. Now I'll 
once elected, I would probably shut it off at seven or eight in the evening. But <laughs> currently, I answer the phone at three in the morning. But well, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> only only friends and family who are, have emergencies are allowed to call me at this point. But um, no, I, I uh, traveling the world, you get used to three a.m. phone calls. So <laughs> fair. But yeah. So give again, me a call and find out. Give me a call. I w- and if you do, if you'd like a yard sign, I'd be happy to deliver one. So. Very nice. Yes. And you're canvassing, door knocking, door and knock. are you text banking too or no? We'll be text banking uh, this next week, and okay. uh, the mailers will go out Tuesday, I believe, Tuesday okay. or Wednesday. And what else? Ballots will drop Friday, so it's yep. important. Yep. So we're trying to make sure that the mailers arrive at the same time as the ballots. Perfect. So. Cool. Very good. Well, we wish you luck, Hector, and all the best. Hey everyone, it's Carissa here yet again, solo for an afterword about Hector's opponent, Glenn Young. So I'm going to talk about Glenn while simultaneously talking shit on the Columbia's endorsement article of him. It's pretty laughable. I encourage everyone to go check it out for themselves. So first of all, they vaguely emphasize his strong demeanor as his greatest attribute. They seem to consider Glenn the more pragmatic one. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, maybe it's because he's for increasing the police budget as well as increasing the 1% property tax. Uh, I'm not sure. They also praise his collaborative spirit. Glenn himself in our interview months ago also claimed that he was collaborative and open to new ideas, but quickly came off as very stubborn and rigid in his thoughts about public safety and climate action. When pressed about his top priority being increasing the police budget, he could not point to any instance where increasing the police budget of a city actually effectively reduced crime, yet remained steadfast in his convictions with no evidence to support those convictions. In a recent debate, Glenn said his top three priorities were, quote, public safety, public safety, and public safety, just before listing a handful of anecdotes about low-level property crimes. While surely people should be safe from not having their shit stolen, Hector has a more holistic view of what public safety means, such as ensuring people in our community have their basic needs met and the mental health resources that they need. Something tells me that might reduce the amount of catalytic converters getting stolen by people looking to make a quick, desperate buck. Glenn, while touting on his signs around town that one of his top issues is the environment, months ago said on his website that we all just need to get used to the norm of single passenger vehicles because people weren't going to change. He's also a bit notorious for speaking loudly against the Westside Bike Mobility Project. In our interview with him, he also claimed going green in transportation wasn't equitable because most people can't afford EVs. He hadn't considered how increasing street equity by expanding public transit access as well as accessibility for pedestrians and bikers would be a great benefit to those low-income folks in our community whose bills would go down drastically should they no longer be required to pay for a vehicle to live and commute around Clark County. He didn't seem open to that argument either, as his website does not even include a statement about public transportation one way or the other. It's almost like he doesn't intimately know the struggles of those in our community, the different paths that people are on, and wants everyone to live the same way that he does. Today, Glenn states that he cares about protecting our natural resources, but that enforcing the laws already on the books were sufficient enough to do so. Climate change was not even mentioned in this statement. 
Tell me again how he is supposed to be the pragmatic option while we face increasingly worsening wildfires and pollution in our beautiful region thanks to anthropogenic climate change. On homelessness, his one solution is building more housing for first-time homeowners, which should be part of the solution, but it's not all of it. As you heard in the interview, Hector has a much more holistic view once again on this subject and has walked the walk with building tiny homes for low-income folks in our community. Now back to the Columbian article. The editorial board calls Glenn's candidacy an impressive grassroots effort simply for speaking at neighborhood association and city council meetings, but we wonder why Hector was not afforded the same description when he has a long track record of literally founding his own grassroots organizations and efforts. Meanwhile, the Colombian proclaims that Glenn knows what local residents face due to his experience in finance and running a remodeling business, even though Hector is the guy who has been deeply involved in community groups with members facing serious issues, not just speaking his opinion at council meetings. And if all of this doesn't sway you, just look at Glenn's funding versus Hector's. You can go to the Public Disclosure Commission's website to see that Glenn's donations come predominantly from developers, business people, and real estate investors. I wonder why. Conversely, Hector's donors are Washington conservation voters, uh, Washington Environmental Council, physicians, educators, psychologists, students, our favorite port commissioner, Don Orange, and most of the Vancouver City Council. In summary, we can't speak to what is motivating Glenn, and sometimes it does seem like he legitimately wants to help the community. But we do not need another developer on Clark County Council, and based on what we know, we believe he has all the wrong answers to the problems that we face. Vote Hector. Thank you.